0: I'm World Cup champion Megan Klingenberg. Wondering who you should root for at the FIFA Women's World Cup? I'm hosting a new podcast, My New Favorite, Fubalista, where I will introduce you to soccer's brightest stars and the causes they are championing. From the 22-year-old American phenom speaking out about student-athlete mental health, I try to just, like, approach everything with, like, you don't know what someone's going through, to the U.S. defender who travels to tournaments with her young son. Am I ever going to be able to run for five minutes straight? Check out my new favorite, fútbolista wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Start your confidence journey today with bite.
0: Can you tell me one fact about the WNBA that I should know <laughs> before we have this conversation? What? God, never mind. I'm ready for this.
2: Hi, where are you from?
0: I'm from all over, but I currently live in South Shore in Chicago.
2: Do you watch the WNBA? From time to time, but I'm not a major sports fan in general. Okay, when you watch, what team do you watch?
0: I... Watch whatever Brittany Griner's
2: on. This is Rebound Revolution, a not-so-basketball podcast bringing you the revolutionary on and off the court happening in the WNBA. From queer baddies, to history, to ones to watch, join me, Money, as we get into it all. This week we dive into why I love the W, spoiler alert, because queer. And later, I'll be joined by Frankie De La Creta to talk the fan experience, feeling safe at a sporting event as a queer person, and all things gender and non-binary athletes in the league.
0: I don't think sports exists in a vacuum. And I bring my whole identity to the way that I watch sports. And it also means that I bring that to the way that I write about sports.
2: Okay, the first time I attended a WNBA game was the summer before I started middle school. um, I think because I had to be like eleven, and it was the fourth season of the league. It's like the two thousands, and the New York Liberty were playing the Washington Mystics. And I remember because of Nikki McCray and Teresa (laughs) Weatherstone. Left wing
3: bullet, down low, holds call, backdoor cutting. McCray gets in the lane, shot good. Nikki McCray, nice throw!
2: What I most remember about the game, it was at Madison Square Garden, and it was just full of fans, like, packed with people cheering on a court full of women who, for the most part, looked like me. Um, They were tall, you know, they had braids, (laughs) they were dark-skinned, they were fly. The parts of my, like, awkward going-into-middle-school self that I always felt, like, self-conscious about or was teased about, I saw these women... Like, turning those attributes into superpowers. In my mind, they were superheroes. They, they were, like, fast, zooming across the court, jumping higher than I ever seen anybody
1: jump. Stinson, got it going again offensively. Holds claw, low left for Page, Hits the cutting, McRae down the lane, forced it up and in.
2: In the today of things, as a Black lesbian feminist in my 30s, I still see WNBA players as superheroes. In a, in a lot less, you know, Marvel comic book way. But they are the go-to space where I see people who share identities with me, marching, resisting, protesting, and celebrating um, Black lives, reproductive justice rights, LGBTQ liberation movements, and pay equality. And they've done it all while playing incredible basketball. (laughs) So even if you're not a basketball fan, there's so many reasons to love the W. As it's entering its 27th season this year, I'm really looking forward to talking to y'all about the teams I love, the athletes who are using their visibility and platforms for social change, and all the other tea and buzz around the league that makes the W so electrifying. So I feel like I should say this also, you know, being from New York, I was by default a Liberty fan and I always have a soft spot for the New York Liberty as the team that introduced me to the WNBA, but I'm just going to say it. I feel like I have to come out on this very first episode. My team is the Indiana Fever. Okay, I know, I know, I know, I know. Um, they they haven't always been my team, but I need y'all to look beyond their record from last season <laughs> and uh, understand that I am a Fever fan over here, okay? And <laughs> there'll be more on the Indiana Fever later. I'm here with today's guest, Frankie De La Creta. Frankie, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So would you like to intro yourself? Tell us a little bit about you.
0: Yeah, I am a freelance journalist who writes mostly at the intersection of sports, gender, and queerness.
2: What kind of brought you to the work that you do and the writing that you do on The W?
0: Yeah, I think for me, part of what's really important about the sports writing that I do. And the reason I am a sports writer, regardless of what kind of sport I'm writing about, is that I don't think sports exists in a vacuum. And I bring my whole identity to the way that I watch sports. And it also means that I bring that to the way that I write about sports. And I think particularly a league like the WNBA, but as we've already mentioned, it's a very Queer league, I'm willing to bet at least 80% or more of the players are queer. And to me, it's so important to continuously have a queer lens on the league because if we erase the queerness of the WNBA, we're actually erasing what it is. We're erasing the culture of it, right? When you think about having that many. Like lesbians yeah. or queer people, mm-hmm. queer, mostly women, mm-hmm. in a locker room, you're talking about a lesbian space. Yes. You're talking about a Black lesbian space. Yes. Like, let's be real, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And that is a specific culture. Yeah. And that is the culture of the league. And mm-hmm. I think like for me, making sure that I'm not erasing that aspect of who the players are mm-hmm. is very important because I don't want to deny the reality yeah. of who is playing.
2: Yes, yes. I think so actively about the W in that way like the W is queer culture in real time like it's a it's one of the last like non male centered queer cultural spaces that we have yeah because the the thing about being a sports fan
0: is Jessica Luther and Kevita Davidson wrote the book, like loving sports when Mm -hmm. they don't love you back. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times that that's what being a sports fan really feels like, particularly in men's sports. Right. And you don't feel entirely safe. Like I've gone to pride nights at Fenway park Mm -hmm. and I'm like, still sort of like, this is supposedly for me. Is it though? Do I want to be here? Um, And I feel like you're constantly like looking over your shoulder And the thing about the W is it's a much more diverse fan base Mm -hmm. in terms of who is showing up. And the reason that the fan base is as diverse as it is is because of who's on the court. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's a very supportive environment of not just like the other fans but of the players themselves even the way this is a thing that i think is like pretty unique to the w like the playoff game that i went to was the sun we're playing the sky oh my god (laughs) people are like not even heckling like they're heckling the the sky but like not in a mean way right it's sort of just like like we want you to excel also, but maybe not today. <laughs> or like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. even when you're rooting against a team, you're rooting for the players. Yes. And that's something that feels very unique mm-hmm. um to mm-hmm. the W.
2: Yeah. I also think about it being like a welcoming environment for like kids and family. Every time I go to a W game, there's families, you know, like usually queer families with their little kids there. There's like kids running around and everybody has eyes on them. It also feels like a, I don't know, like a much more intergenerational space than other sporting events I go to, too, where people might side eye you for having your kid running around. (laughs) It is. And
0: women's sports in general, often like in a way that I don't think we see as much in men's sports, there's the players are so much more willing to like see a young girl or a young kid in the in the crowd and like go up and like talk to that kid or be like mm-hmm. they know that they are role models and inspirations mm-hmm. and they really want to be that that positive yeah. force and encourage you know young kids as well and mm-hmm. so i think it is a lot more kid centered yeah.
2: we heard you loud and clear you love the WNBA and want more analysis and insight on your favorite players Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoops. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All season long, we'll be bringing you the post-game analysis that you crave and sitting down for interviews with athletes across the W. You can listen to Queens of the Court on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. In a moment in history like right now, (laughs) why is the WNBA so important right now? It's so important because it's a queer league,
0: which means it's like a queer centered league, which means that a lot of the initiatives and things that they're going to do are not just offering lip service to something right Mm -hmm. there. The players are impacted by what is happening politically in the world in a way that I guess the NHL or MLB, right? Like... We keep seeing these teams hosting Pride nights, right? But they have owners who are actively donating to, like, politicians who are pushing anti-trans and anti-queer legislation. Or we have players who are refusing to wear the Pride tape on their, like, hockey stick or refusing to wear the rainbow patch on their uniform and things like that. and. For the players in the W, this stuff is not hypothetical, right? Mm -hmm. It's, like, their lived reality. It's their own Mm -hmm. lives. Uh, There are trans and non-binary players. players. Laysha Clarendon has made a roster um, again, and he's going to be back in the league. And, like, you have, you know, AD Durr also (laughs) is in the league, and... You know, I have had people in the league tell me there are more who are not out, Mm -hmm. right? There are. And whether they're trans or not, they're gender nonconforming, mostly black queer women, right? Who are going to be read the way they're going to be read. This legislation affects their safety and their like day-to-day reality Mm -hmm. in a way that it's not going to for, you know, a lot of the men's leagues. And so... I think about marginalized athletes, that it sucks that in so many ways, they can't just be athletes. Mm -hmm. They have to be advocates and they have to speak out Mm -hmm. against a lot of this stuff. And it shouldn't fall on them. Um, But at the same time, I think they have a platform and a voice and particularly players in the W, I think, think about how to responsibly use that platform.
2: Yes. I mean, I don't know what the behind the scenes is like, but it seems very thoughtful and intentional and organized. Like... They all seem to have like the same kind of like talking points, like understanding of who they are as a league and like what that represents especially in these like moments. Like now there's a team in Texas, you know, it's just like there's a WNBA team in Texas. What does that mean for queer players in Texas? There's a team in Georgia. You know, what does that mean? It's true. I mean, I
0: interviewed Laja Clarendon for a piece that I wrote for Sports Illustrated about non-binary athletes and like where they fit in in sports, which is this highly gendered world. And at the time, Leija had just gotten top surgery and was still on the New York Liberty. Mm -hmm. And one thing that they talked about that I thought was really important was you know, I'm in New York, and so when I was deciding whether to get top surgery before I even went to the league, before I even went to, like, the union, mm-hmm. I did research myself to be like, what are the employment laws, discrimination laws? Can I get fired in New York State for mm-hmm. this if they decide, right? If if the league decides, because this is a league for women, right? Mm-hmm. Where And luckily, you know, none of that happened, but it would be different consideration for them regarding where they were located and what the laws were like. And so I think players in different states are going to be having different experiences of the political climate. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're taking that into consideration when they think about where they're going to play.
2: Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's not just about, like, making a roster and what the team selects, but also have you ever received pushback regarding your writing or reporting on the league? I have.
0: Oh, it's so interesting. I think there's different kinds of pushback, right? There's like Mm. public pushback and then there's the editorial pushback. Mm. And those look really different. I think editorial pushback sometimes looks more like me having to fight for the language I'm going to use, me having to fight for the way I'm going to use somebody's pronouns or how much I'm going to explain Or not explain. I think the Sports Illustrated piece I wrote is a good example of the conversations that were had behind the scenes and kind of the outcome.
2: The article, living non-binary in a binary sports world?
0: Yeah. And so some of the conversations that we had behind the scenes was Leisha uses uh, he, she, and they pronouns interchangeably. And Leisha wanted all of those used interchangeably. We'd never seen this done in mainstream media before. And so we're like, do we alternate in mid-sentence every time we use a pronoun? Do we alternate every paragraph? We ended up alternating on the sentence level is what we ended up doing. And uh, I will say what's cool about that is I've seen now other mainstream publications have done that. And so it seems like we've kind of given an example that other Mm -hmm. people can use, and that's been pretty cool to see. But the opening paragraph before we got to the place where we described the pronouns and then allow us to kind of switch out, we had an opening paragraph and I was using they, them pronouns there. Mm -hmm. That was really important to me because yes, I could have used she and that would have been accurate. Mm -hmm. But to me, that didn't set up kind of who Leija was, and I could have used he, but I didn't want readers to be defensive immediately. Exactly. I wanted to kind of explain it. And so we used they, them until we could alternate, and that was, like, intentional. We talk about getting top surgery, and, and he's having to make these choices and considerations and, like, has all of these questions about how it could impact his career. Normally, when I'm writing about trans athletes and trans people, I actually don't talk about their bodies very much mm-hmm. because... I think that trans athletes and trans people in general can become a spectacle for, like, cis curiosity. And yet, this was an important thing because for an athlete, the body is the site of also their profession and their sport and their athletic ability. And Leja was literally considering changes that you know, she would have had to make to her body and how that could have impacted her career. And so I actually like speak directly to the reader and explain like, ordinarily it's in bad taste to talk about the bodies of trans athletes. I am doing so because it is relevant to the considerations and questions being raised here. And so those were all very intentional. So I think Mm -hmm. those are some ways that pushback happens maybe and not even just pushback, although I have pulled pieces Mm -hmm. because I haven't liked the editorial direction and didn't feel like they were listening to me. Um, So that happens too, but like those kinds of conversations and sometimes disagreements can happen behind the scenes. But then I have people who tell me that I'm like stereotyping, you know, the players or focusing on their sexuality in ways that don't matter. But to me, I think it matters quite a bit. I think about this piece I wrote for the Washington Post, where I basically compared the dating of the WNBA to Alice's chart from the L word. Yes.
2: I, um, <laughs> I because yes. It literally yeah. is. Like when Dewana was with the Mercury, she had twins with Candace Dupree. Yeah. But then when she went to Connecticut, she started dating <laughs> Alyssa Thomas.
0: Yeah. I'm like, think about all of the relationships and hookups that we know about and think about all of the ones we do not. Exactly. And think about the dyke drama happening in those locker rooms because you know there's a ton of it. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. I mean, you said Connecticut Sun and I was just like. <laughs> yeah. I feel like if you want to get booed up, you just got to make that roster. (laughs) Right.
0: Yes. There was like multiple pairs of exes and partners on the team, like all at once. Um, Everyone on that team had dated each other maybe at some point. Yes, But, like, that's what I mean when we talk about, like, that this is important to the culture of the league. Mm -hmm. This is also queer and, like, lesbian culture is that you've all dated each other and you're all hanging out in the same places and my ex is your ex is her ex. And so... That's also happening in the W, right? Because it is a queer space and it is reflective of like larger queer culture. And so like, I'm not stereotyping them. Half the team is engaged to each other. Like I'm just pointing that out. Exactly.
2: (laughs) I feel like uh, there's only resistance around like stereotyping and talking about it. If you think that it's inherently like a negative thing to be a queer person, you know, it's like, yeah, because we do talk about the partners of athletes. All the time.
0: So, yeah. yeah. I think about women's soccer and the uh-huh. NWSL, um, which is like much whiter than the WNBA. And I notice when they talk about the players that are dating like in women's soccer, I don't notice the same kind of pushback. Mm-hmm. Like there is something about wanting to talk about the relationships that like black women and black lesbians are having with each other that seems to draw like a sort of like we don't want to talk about that right and I don't see that happening in the same way in women's soccer in the same way that like a lot of queer publications will post about like women's soccer being so gay and how hot these women's soccer players are and I'm like The WNBA is also right here. They're butch and they're mask of center and they're Uh, black. And so we can't thirst after them. Like I see these disparities happening too, even within queer culture, when you bring these conversations up, the things you are told you can and can't talk about.
2: I don't know if you remember the, like, Sports Illustrated cover. I think it was last season. It was, oh, you made a face. So yes, It was, like, <laughs> Sue Bird. I think Stewie, who is Brianna Stewart, was on the cover. But it, it was very femme. Very femme. It was. I wrote about this for CNN. Oh, okay, man. Well, you the person I need to be talking to about this. Because, actually, Courtney Williams tweeted, like, you know, why Why couldn't one of us in our like sports bra and boxers be on the cover? I think that was so important. I was very confused
0: mm-hmm. by that spread. And I really wanted to be careful with how I talked about it because I don't want to disempower the feminine women who feel mm-hmm. good okay. in that gender presentation. Absolutely. And I think like, I specifically with Sue Bird and Stewie, I was really confused by the decision to style them that way Mm -hmm. because it's so different from how they style themselves off the court. And someone like Sue Bird, anyone who knows much about the history of the WNBA and their marketing, Sue Bird's been in the league a very long time and she's been super open about the fact that. When she was first in the league, she was kind of the face of a lot of this when she started because mm-hmm. she was pretty mm-hmm. and white and feminine. Mm-hmm. And she was very kind of heterosexualized mm-hmm. and objectified and put in bathing suits and like bikinis while like twirling a basketball on her finger. And she's been critical and open about that kind of marketing and how it sucked. And so it was weird to see the choice to almost like harken back to to that for her. Mm -hmm. Which is not to say that just because Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart are queer, they can't be feminine and wearing a bathing suit. But when you look at their off-court style, it is not as feminized. And also, the W has really taken steps to let the players be themselves in terms of how they style themselves. I think social media has a lot to do with that. I think the players force their hand, Mm -hmm, honestly. mm -hmm. But regardless of how it happened, the W, even in their own marketing, really has allowed the players to embrace a more masculine of center style when it Mm -hmm. suits them. And it was just such a bizarre <laughs> choice um, that it felt like a step back in so many ways.
2: Yeah, it felt like that to me as well. And I I think it assumes that there's no audience who likes seeing, you know, masculine women or queer masculinity and that queer femininity, because queer femininity in my eyes looks really different than like cishet, you know, in line femininity. Like, I think about somebody like Dijanae Carrington, who is very femme-presenting, almost exaggeratedly so, like braids down (laughs) to the back of her knees, who could have easily been on that spread as well.
0: Yeah, queer femininity. The reason it is different than a straight femininity is because it is rejecting the male gaze, exactly. right? It is absolutely not for the male gaze and therefore it's already starting from a place in which it is different. It is subversive just by the fact that it is unconcerned with what men think of it. I love it.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think people should be most excited about? Or what are you looking forward to for this season?
0: Well, I'm excited that Leja is back on a roster and I hope that they get to stay there. I love watching Leja play and he's just like so unabashedly trans in this yes. way that like I love. And I've noticed the pit hair, which is new mm-hmm. on the court, and I'm like, yes, like. <laughs> she posted something on her social media recently where it was like her and Courtney Williams, like on the court together. And like the, the caption was something like women's basketball is so gay gay. and I love it. (laughs) Like it's so gay here and I love it. And I'm like, yes, I'm excited for that. The league has so much momentum and the fan base is growing and like expansion is like a real possibility in the near future. And it's funny because so often we compare women's leagues to, you know, men's leagues and whether or not they are making as much money or drawing as many fans. And the thing is, when you look at the trajectory of most sports leagues, like it's a decade minimum before most of them are profitable, like Mm -hmm. at all. And when you look at the fan base numbers and how many people are coming to games and you compare them to like a league, like the NBA or the NFL over the course of their kind of existence the WNBA is right on par Mm -hmm. to be as successful as these men's leagues are and have become and I think we're really starting to see that happen and I am very very hopeful that the W can kind of set the pace for what a women's league can be but also the basketball is just so good good. this is why we need we need expansion because you only have 144 roster spots which means like yes of course some teams are better than other but every player out there is just so good at basketball
2: (laughs) it's the hardest league to make a roster in because there's only 144 spots in so that means everybody is the top of the top of the top you started talking about expansion and immediately my brain went because bling, bling, I'm in Philly and I just really mm. uh, I just know if we got a team in Philly, Kalia Copper would leave Chicago and come back. to <laughs> Philly. But it makes me think about new people that I see talking about the WNBA, like on social media and my personal life. And it has me wondering for someone who's tuning in for the first time, like maybe they just started paying attention with like, everything that was happening with the league last year. What should they be looking at if, like, they're a new fan?
0: I think it can get really overwhelming to be a new fan of a league. Mm -hmm. Pick a team, whatever, like, when it is. A couple seasons ago, I had a WNBA column at Autostraddle. And before this season, I was like, how to pick a team to root for? And I ranked them based on how gay they all were. And you could, like, Mm -hmm. just, write Because... That was you! I think the thing is, like, what brings you to the WNBA and why do you want to watch? And, like, I can make the appeal that, like, if you're queer and you've never watched, but you just want to watch, like, queer women be hot and good at something, like, that is a legitimate reason to watch the WNBA. (laughs) And if that's why you're getting into it, like, go find out all the gossip. That's just as exciting. I watch the games with my partner and I spend half the game. Well, A, I'm either explaining, like, what's happening basketball wise and like what we should be looking for. Or I'm like, so that one dated that one. Yes! And then that one also dated that one. And that to me is just as interesting. So if you like really like hot gossip, the WNBA is the league for, for that. Um, So if like, that's the place you want to start, start there. But if not, like pick a team, pick one team, whether it's the closest team to you, whether There's one athlete on it that you really like, whether you've heard they're the best, whether you've heard they're the worst, whatever it is, like pick your team and follow them. And like, I think it's a really good way to get into the league. And because there are so few teams
2: in this league, they're going to be
0: playing each other a lot. lot. And you actually get to know the players pretty
2: quickly. Yep. So we've talked about them being hot a lot. Uh, Do you have any (laughs) league crushes? (laughs) I do. I'm like
0: I see. I'll say it. It was also my favorite player, which is Alyssa Thomas, because Mm -hmm. it's the swag. It's the way that she carries herself on the court and like off. I'm very into it. (laughs) Okay, if you follow me during WNBA season, I will say things like. Alyssa Thomas could like run me over and I'd say thank you and ask her to do it again (laughs) Um, but also I once sent a tweet that had some pictures of Alyssa Thomas like looking particularly hot and I said that she had choke me daddy energy and multiple WNBA players liked the tweet (laughs) but also I was like oh no that means Alyssa Thomas knows this tweet exists because someone definitely told her and she seems like she would be mortified (laughs) like she seems like someone who would be kind of embarrassed to know that that was happening. So I'm really sorry, Alyssa <laughs>
2: Thomas. I also think you're fantastic at basketball. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. The fundamentals are there. Right? <laughs> but I will
0: say, I think that AT is a player who was really, really underrated Very. and didn't get the attention mm-hmm. and the like credit that she deserved mm-hmm. for a really long time. And it's only been the last couple seasons yes. that she's really gotten... Her flowers, and I'm glad that that is starting to happen for her because she she deserves that.
2: Yeah, I feel like I have like old and young league crushes, and I need okay. I need like middle grounds, like you know, like those players who are like seven, eight years in. I have like retired crushes, and then I have like rookie crushes that I'm like, you okay. are just a baby, but very fine, like. <laughs>
0: Yeah. See, that's the thing. I'm 38. And there's a point when I have to be like, I really think that player is hot, but they're like 24.
2: And I need to maybe like not. <laughs> yeah. And like, I think Simone Augustus is just like my forever crush. So when she retired. I will say
0: Br- Brittany Sykes also has some real hot energy.
2: Okay. So I went to Syracuse. And let me tell you something. Okay. That energy is in person as well. I feel like you feel it when Britney Sikes walks in the room. You're like, "Oh, Slim is here."
0: <laughs> well, Slim also has the daddy hat, the yeah, baseball hat yeah. that says "Daddy" on it.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah.
0: You know, generally, oh. I was gonna say I think in the queer community generally there's a top shortage, but I think in the WNBA is where all the tops there's, are. And there's so. an abundance,
2: yeah, or at least it gets that. a top abundance yeah. Yeah. and like femme tops too. Like, yes. <laughs> Um, all right. Thanks, Frankie. Thank you. This
3: is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word Broomgate.
2: Now, let's get into Watch Them Work, where I spotlight a W team who deserves their flowers. These teams are killing the game, or maybe not so much. But regardless, this is where I'm going to gush about them and tell you why you should have your eyes on them. This week, I'm watching the Indiana Fever. I know, I know, they didn't have the greatest season last year, but the Fever are my favorite team. First of all, can we talk about those jerseys? Those Stranger Things jerseys last year... I kept trying to get a Kelsey Mitchell one, but they were always sold out. I think the Indiana Fever have an opportunity to have the best fan merch in the league because their colorway and even the new jerseys that they unveiled for this season, they're just amazing. I think they have the best jerseys in the league. What most folks know the Indiana Fever for is their 2012 championship season season led to the championships by legend herself, Tamika Ketchings, who's still really involved with the organization. But this year, there's excitement to see the Indiana Fever because they had the number one pick and got Aaliyah Boston on their roster. And Aaliyah Boston had a phenomenal career at South Carolina. So everyone has been really hyped to see her in the league. She already got her braids to match the Indiana Fever jerseys. And I can't wait to watch her play. Their record from last year really doesn't reflect their possibility as a team. They have a lot of young players that I can't wait to see grow into franchise players. So if you happen to be another Fever fan, or if you just like rooting for the underdog, let me know. Wanna sound like you in the know when it comes to the W? I got you. This is Fundamentals, where I'll give you a rundown of something to make you look like you're the expert in the room. And this week, I want to talk super teams. There's been a lot of conversations about the New York Liberty and the Las Vegas Aces this season being super teams because the New York Liberty have five of the top 10 players in the league and the aces have six of the top 20 players in the league right so they are just slated to be like the best teams this year the teams to watch but y'all super teams are nothing new in the WNBA. so here are two super teams of yesteryear that you can name drop to look like you be knowing okay So, we can't talk about super teams without talking about the Houston Comets. What? They went back to back, then back to back (laughs) in championship wins. They were the WNBA champions for the first four seasons of the league. 1997, 1998, 1999, and 2000. They have Hall of Fame players from those four years. Like, I need merch from the Houston Comets to be readily available. I know the team folded, like, in the early 2000s. I think you can't have a four-time championship team and us not be able to rock their merch, like, uh, retro-throve merch, right? So, the Houston Comets, the first dynasty in the WNBA. And then, you know, the Minnesota Lynx was also a super team. Y'all, again, four-time WNBA championship team. And then, in the off times that they weren't winning the championship, they were the team in the finals competing for the championship. For a solid, like, chunk of WNBA history, like seven years, they were either winning or the team to beat for the championship. That starting five, at one time, the Minnesota Lynx had on the floor Sylvia Fowles, who leads the league in rebounds. Money Moan, Simone Augustus herself, who y'all need to go back and remember, there's a reason why uh, Simone (laughs) Simone Augustus retired, because them knees was tired, because the way she was out there doing them moves and crossing people over, come on, y'all. Maya Moore, the Maya Moore, who hasn't played in how long, and people still asking if she coming back, y'all, we have to let it go, Maya's not coming back, (laughs) she's not coming back. Rebecca Brunson, the only player in the WNBA who has five championships. BB, y'all. <laughs> and Lindsey Whalen, all five of them on the floor at the same time. It, it, uh, the Lynx were a time, okay? And what I really love about the era of the Minnesota Lynx that was a super team is that just as powerful as they were on the floor, they also were off the floor. They were doing a lot in Minnesota around LGBT marriage equality, specifically Simone Augustus. I'm, I'm hoping that it, it passes. Um, you would want to be able to do it in a city that's, for one, embraced me and it's been my second home for the last six or seven years and, you know, it is her home. This is where she's from uh, to be able to share a special moment in, you know, Minnesota history, you know, right here where we've created so much. And they were also the first team to take the floor in Black t-shirts in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. I just can't say enough about that era of the Minnesota Lynx in like the 2015-ish time period. And I think the hype around the Lynx in um, Minnesota is still there because of how dominant they were in that time. So, yeah. As excited as I am to see the new girls on the super teams, the super teams of the past, the Houston Comets and the Minnesota Lynx, still some of my favorite teams in the W. Rebound Revolution is an Edit Audio original podcast created in collaboration with The Cube. I'm your host, Money McEachern, and this episode was produced by Melissa Horton, mick finnegan and me it was edited mixed and mastered by mick finnegan our supervising producer is anna Deshawn. our executive producer is steph colburn thank you to kathleen speckard and the whole edit audio team